Attention shoppers, there are a wide variety of Crossrip items available in the gift shop. Sweatshirts, smartphone covers, an exclusive t-shirt designed by Dapper Dan Shonen of IDW Comics fame, and more on the way. All proceeds go towards our servers, so this remains the only ad you hear on the show. Go to GhostbustersHQ.net slash shop to get yours today. I like that shirt, friend. Hey there, fellow Ghostbusters fans, and welcome to the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossrip Podcast. This week on the show, we're going to be talking about the Elmer Bernstein score re-release, some of the things that were missing, some of the things that were added. We'll be talking about Jason Reitman's comments about Ghostbusters 2020, including some casting stuff, and some speculation as to what might be coming up uh, in the future. whole lot of stuff, merch news. Stay tuned. It's a fun one. Here we go. Still Playing With Toys presents The Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad, the biggest podcast since 1909. So free. News, interviews, and commentary on everything Ghostbusters. Are you the keymaster? Here are your hosts, Troy Benjamin and Chris Stewart. You know, it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment. Oh, we have fun. Woo! Uh, well, the good news is we don't want to be farmers. We all want to have podcasts and be youtube stars and uh, instagram uh, influencers and well yeah we don't i don't mean, need things like food and i'm kind of curious what, what <laughs> we're i'm like looking at our uh, at our uh, social media numbers and going man we w- didn't seem to miss the uh the influencers uh list there by much i don't think uh <laughs> One guy was posting this video. He had like twenty-one thousand subscribers on YouTube, and I'm like, they only made like a hundred of those things. And oh boy, <laughs> oh boy, I we guess know, actually we're we're not so much influencers as guys they were hoping would actually like shell out for them. So uh, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I think we're if if those types of people are influencers, we're influenced. We're influenced. <laughs> we're some. We're something, I'll say that much. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of uh, when people were like at, uh, at FanFest, like, oh, you're not here as, as press? And I'm like, are you kidding? We're the target audience for this event. Yeah. Like, why would we get press passes? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm still dying to see the the cassette player, though, the Walkman. Because oh, you haven't seen it. I, I've, seen, I've seen the box. I was going to say, I've seen, seen the box. I don't know that I can say I've seen the player itself either. In theory, did they see it opened? Uh, yes, have some? When uh, they did their little video tour of the... They, uh, they redacted. They saw something and then it was like uh, it was like censored out. And I, maybe that was it. Maybe they saw it open. <coughs> it's supposed to be gold, whatever that means. Hmm. Gold paint, uh, gold plastic. Who knows? Who? I, I'm just curious to see what a Walkman looks like now. Like, what is the newly designed <laughs> Walkman <laughs> I mean, yes, okay, it's Ghostbusters theme. That sounds fun, but what the hell does it look like now? What exactly does it look like? Yeah. I don't know. It feels like uh, Sony could make a real big move if they took like the the sportsman oh, styling, yeah, and then and then built it into like a uh, like a super durable smartphone. I think they'd win the day. That's a brilliant. Hey, Sony, are you listening? That's a brilliant idea. Do like the sports <laughs> version of a cell phone. Of so, a cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. Get you like they uh, have to on try Android, that, right? I don't know Android, and then it uh, 
yeah, it's all, it's, I mean, it'll be a little bigger than most, but the point is, is that it's, you know, built for accidentally dropping and all that, right? Yeah. Actually, you know what? They don't even have to make the phone at this point. Just sell us the case. We'll buy it. It's <laughs> also, just give me the little snap, because my, my sports Walkman had the, like, snappy case and the rubber yeah, buttons. Yeah, oh, the so snappy just thing. Me, yeah, give yeah. me that, and I'll throw You know what? Just to think upwards and, like, design it into a thing that'll hold some cards. You know what I mean? Like, some it's of your like cards, your phone... And has a built-in um, uh, a battery pack for your charging up your phone. And why, so it's a why maybe. Why you maybe, on Sony's design team right now? Let's make this happen. Make <laughs> this podcast. Let's. Because for every one of these, there's about four uh, real dumb ones. There's me going. <laughs> you know what? They should make a movie out of. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, all right. So I'm getting the sense that we need to talk some more FanFest stuff just based upon this small little uh, exchange here. Possibly. Uh, we can do that. Uh, and we've got some news. There's stuff that we can talk about there. Yeah. Uh, but I think so. Maybe instead of jumping into FanFest stuff first, let's do other news and then we can go to FanFest because maybe people are tired of hearing about FanFest at this point. <laughs> I'm all, I'm honestly, like it was so much fun, but I'm honestly tired of talking about FanFest too. But, um,. So let's do that. Let's talk. Let's talk non-fan. Well, there's stuff that's tangentially uh, uh, related to FanFest. We can talk about sure. that. And then, um, all right. So here you go. News. Hey guys, Peter. I have some news from the world of Gozer. I got some pretty cool stuff cooking up over here. If you want to turn your head. Multiplanar curly and emanation. Now, well, here's your next month's cover of GQ. Check out the aura on this sucker. Uh, so you and I haven't had a chance to talk about the Elmer Bernstein score release. Have you, uh, you, uh, it, it released right before you probably were flying down for FanFest. Um, but, uh, have you had a chance to listen to it yet, Chris? It dropped the day I arrived, I believe. Oh, was it that it was that like Thursday? It was Friday. Yeah. No, it Friday. Was, uh, Friday the 7th. It dropped. Um, uh, <clears throat> it had the, the one track they released, uh, cross rip appropriately right. enough. Ha ha. Yeah, ha exactly. Um, I like it. I'm enjoying it. I'm a little surprised by some of the feedback from it. Yeah. But, uh, well, and maybe we can kind of get into that because it's for, for every awesome plus that it has, there's a couple minuses, uh, which was kind of surprised. I thought this was going to be sort of the definitive, like, here's the whole score. And uh, funny enough, there's a few things that are missing on there, uh, which were yeah. kind of surprising. Um, but maybe, all right, let's start with the positive. Always accentuate the positive. Uh, so it sounds wonderful. Uh, the remastering of the score has made it sound unbelievably good. Uh, and I'm just listening to the Apple Music version at this point. I do have the CD, uh, but uh, haven't haven't cracked it open yet. Um, so I bet it sounds even better than the compressed uh, Apple Music version. Um, and it's, I mean, it's nice to hear it. I, I mean, it's <laughs> it's only been, what, seven years since that last release? When was that last? It was like 2000. Something like that, yeah. Somewhere around there. But, May uh, have been in and around the last uh, big anniversary thing there. Like the 25th or the 30th. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> something like that. But uh, so it, it is. It's nice to hear it in some some sweet clarity. Uh, the liner notes on the CD are are wonderful. There's some some new revelations in there. Um, but I, a lot of people are are focused on the two kind of weird 
choices, and I know that there is some some justification for one of the choices, but um, the track order is a little jarring. So you're sitting and you're listening to the the CD or the the playlist from start to finish, and it, it bounces around in the movie, which is kind of odd. Um, yeah, and. I mean, you and I talked about it on the podcast before where you're like, oh, it's kind of weird that these aren't in sequential order, but uh, I'm sure it's fine. Um, it it makes for a very interesting listening experience. Um, yeah, for those of us who know the movie, right? Because it's it's in our head. We know <clears throat> we know what the progression of the uh, the score is. So if anything's out of out of place, <clears throat> even stuff that gets like edited down and stuff like that, we still know what that particular you know theme is or track is or whatever because uh the the very saraband had like some some longer drawn out tracks that i mean in the movie do not get their full run and all that and that's that's fine right like we we still go oh it's this is at the right place it's just runs a a little yeah, longer. This or, is a little or extra. it was replaced by magic or another one of those or uh, something like that songs. right yeah, yeah. In this case, yeah, so for those of us who know the movie, yeah, we listen to it and go, okay, this is just jarring. I don't think the general public would have that reaction, but at the same time, I don't know that the general public buys a lot of these things. Yeah. So, And the only other person other than us Ghostbuster fans that would buy it would be soundtrack collectors, and soundtrack collectors are even more picky than we are about things like track order. So, and they want every little, even if there's a little incidental music, you know, like uh, everything, yeah. So, just a little sting, which is is not included. Uh, they start saying, "Well, that's not the full and complete score." Um, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that there's a, so so people did reach out, and I know that Peter Bernstein has clarified saying that you know we we reorganize the tracks to give the best listening experience, so that thematically it's it's like an album. Uh, you know, you're, right. you're sitting and you're listening to this from start to finish, and even though you know the movie inside and out and the order in which these tracks should appear, this is also kind of a if you were sitting down to a concert, this is how we would arrange things. Um, Right, so this is, uh, like I said, I haven't finished listening to it through and through, um, but my understanding that this is a, this would be a lot like a companion to the soundtrack podcast. Yeah. Which, because yeah. he, he talks about everything in thematic groups a lot. So, you know, whereas Dana's theme shows up in a couple of places, they would kind of try and, and pull those closer together rather than leaving them in their appropriate spots in the, the, the as they appear in the movie and stuff, which I guess me, you know, makes a certain amount of sense, but yeah, it was, and I think that ultimately that's what it comes down to is that this is the year that Ghostbusters live is going on out there. So this even <laughs> that may have actually helped things a lot if they had actually somehow tried to tie it yeah this whole thing yeah uh but then i hold out hope that perhaps of all these things they've been recording them so i don't know who knows get a gang, live maybe performance by, yeah by the time uh yeah the the new movie comes out next year maybe there'll be another one with the live performance too and then you can kind of see how it goes i will say the one thing that uh um <clears throat> i believe it was posted on the f yes have some uh one of the facebook groups and I apologize, I forget the, the gentleman's name there, but he uh, went through and reordered every track and then f found the stuff that was missing, uh, either from like the Vri Saraband or the, the pop 
pop uh, soundtrack. Yeah. And he put them in the right chronological order. And he said, this is for everybody who wants to build a playlist. So <laughs> it's, it would, it, I mean, it's, it would have been the ideal thing for us to get like this two CD set or whatever that has every, everything from the movie in the right order. But he, he went out and uh, built it all up. So as much as we complain about, I mean, this is the digital era, right? I mean, it's one thing if this was like 15 years ago and we're all sitting around with our Discmans going, oh, it's all out of order, it's jarring. <laughs> and there's absolutely nothing I can do about it short of you know, burning my own CD or taping it to tape in the right order. Now it's just like <laughs> you go through it, add to playlist. Yeah, add click, to playlist. Click, click, and now it's add in the order playlist. that I want it to be in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and not only that, you're adding in tracks from other albums and all that, and it takes no time at all. You're not sitting in your basement for two and a half hours, yeah. you know, putting this all together. Or, or conversely, if you're more digital, uh, two and a half hours waiting for the stupid disc to burn. You know, it's it, <clears throat> so it's. I mean, us us uh, us nerds are resourceful, and uh, <laughs> since day one, we have been like, well, this isn't what I wanted, and then we do it ourselves. Uh, I don't like. Then that, we do it ourselves. Uh, VHS cover art. I'm going to create my own or whatever. I'm going to create my own. So I, uh, I mean, yeah, we all have little complaints here and there. I think I'm still a little confused as to stuff that was missing on it. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, I feel like that's like I could live that's with the, the most reorg, confusing thing. Yeah, but like but my my favorite track, which is on the Verisera Band uh, release, uh, "Walk," which uh, I have consistently had as my alarm on my phone for the longest time because it's just it's such a nice jaunty version of the theme and um, yeah. it, just one of the best cues uh, that I enjoy listening to over and over and over again is missing for some reason yeah. it's not even present on this score and I don't know if that was an oversight or if that was <clears throat> something where they decided like oh let's omit that because it's such a short cue and we need space for something new like the steel uh, yeah. drums or well, that is well, ultimately what it comes down to is this was intended to have a physical release, and that is a limitation of 70 minutes, Yeah, yeah. if I recall correctly, on CD. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's an imperfect uh, – I don't, I don't know. It's, it's an imperfect solution to a problem that's, you know, kind of unavoidable. Uh, we if they put everything else out and nothing new, we'd be like, well, what's the point of this, right? Like, yeah, we, we have all this before, and then of course they put on new stuff, and they're like, well, why is it missing this other stuff? Well, you know, what <laughs> I can guess they, they just do, assume right? that we already have the other version too. I mean, that's that's the other thing is the stuff that's missing we can quickly. Like you said, add back in on a playlist, and there you go. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, I don't want to turn into cynical guy, but some people are like, they just keep doing this to make us buy new stuff. <laughs> and they're going to find new tracks, and in a couple of years, they'll put it out again to see if we'll buy it. I'm like, hello, have you met capitalism? <laughs> um, so I, it's like, yes, that's how it works, right? Like, um, uh. So I don't know. I think the thing that confused me most, though, is I'm hearing people complain about the sound quality, and I'm not sure why they're complaining about oh, the sound quality. Interesting. I haven't seen those because I feel like the sound quality on this is pretty good. What yeah. What have been the criticisms of it? Oh, uh, well, that's just it. It it feels like it's been tacked on to the other complaints. Like people are just looking uh, for more of a foundation to complain because a lot of it comes down to, I've heard it doesn't sound very good. It's like, okay. Uh, the other thing you can hear is 
the album in your ears and then you can come to some sort of judgment because yeah. it sounds pretty good to well, us. If you're listening to it on a streaming service uh, <laughs> like Spotify yeah. or Apple Music or, or one of those, what what is the compression rate doing to it? And Yeah, oh, yeah. That, exactly. And that, that was the other thing I was wondering too is like, uh, have you bought the album or is this one of these things that you heard somebody complain because they, you know, downloaded it somewhere or something? It's like, I, I don't, unless somebody says, I listened to it, and it's X, then I don't, it's hard to kind of respond to these things. I, like I said, I like that somebody, if they hadn't done it, I know that it was one of the things that I'd be sitting around like in the shower and one day I'd go, I should be working, but instead I'm going to do this. And I'm, I'd, you know, build the whole list myself. They've, they've done, they've done the heavy lifting and now that's what I'll do. And then I'll just have that playlist forever. It'll have. Yeah. This album, it'll have the missing bits from Vri Saraband. It'll have uh, all the pop tracks. Because remember, that's I bought the the pop soundtrack again uh, for the umpteenth millionth time, whatever it was, several years ago. Yeah, it was two thousand six where they did that one. <clears throat> just because it finally had uh, uh, Disco Inferno on it, something that just rights wise they couldn't do on the original and now yeah. they could i'm like awesome because this was out of all the <laughs> let's put it this way they put on um uh you know uh uh oh, wh- what's playing in the one guy's ears it's something ridiculous he's bopping along to something he shouldn't be bopping along to oh, to uh, the to the air supply song the air supply to song he's bopping forever, yeah yeah that was its appearance in the movie like mick smiley's magic and stuff like that you're like yes we hear it it's a it plays a big bus boys yes it plays a big part air supply it's like just this tinny hint in the background coming through his thing it's in there meanwhile the party scene where the terror dog shows up they can't get the tramps on there it's like that seems like a I bit of an like, oversight. I mean, well, the air supply track I always understood because it was Arista Records that released the, yes. the cassette, and air supply being Arista's exactly. uh, number one seller. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot of different things that went into why it's not there. But us as consumers, you know, we're coming oh, yeah. out from a different angle, going, really, that the party scene music didn't make it in. And again, yeah, the tramps. A lot of the songs on there were new songs for the album. Uh, Whereas the Tramps was, you know, a, a long-standing uh, uh, disco classic. Uh, by that point, all of I don't know, six years old or whatever it was. Oh God! Uh, now feeling old. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But, uh, Anyways, so yeah, so I mean, pick it up. I want to hear, you know, everybody else's thoughts on it uh, because it is. It's great to have it in circulation because being an out-of-print uh, CD made it a little tough to find for some people. So. Yeah, at least it's now accessible again, and even though it's not uh, totally complete, uh, yep. it, there it's there's good reason to go pick it up. And the vinyl coming out, I don't know. I, let me put it this way: when I dropped you off at the hotel after Fan Fest on Saturday night, this is what was playing because it was still. I'm riding that <laughs> Ghostbusters high, and I'm listening to the. I don't care what order the tracks are in; just play me some Elmer Bernstein music. Um, exactly. So. And it's it's not a limited run. It'll be there for years and years to come. And um, yeah, once the even once the grab the physical as fast as you can, either the vinyl or the CD, because that will that will run out relatively. Oh, yeah, I'm quick, sure the vinyl but, has probably got to be limited to a, a certain amount. Yeah, yeah, but that that somebody did a spreadsheet on how many to make of that, and when it's done, it's done. But it'll live on iTunes and Amazon for well, forever. I'm sure. Yeah. 
Um, well, let's talk some other merch. We'll keep the merch train running here. Uh, so, merch, merch, uh, merch, the, merch. The biggest news item that I've seen a lot of people talking about is the San Diego Comic-Con reveal of Hasbro's Optimus Prime uh, Ghostbusters-related toy, which is, we kind of we kind of knew this was coming. We did hint toward yeah. having seen whatever it was off the assembly line. There was that leak uh, about a month ago. Um but uh, it's cool to see the actual product and some beauty shots, and this is what's going to be available starting in July. As far as I know, it is a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive, right, Chris? That or is this... seems to be the way it's going, yes. Uh, but with Hasbro, they do end up selling them up on their you know, Hasbro Pulse uh, site and limited supplies, too. So if, if you're not going to San Diego, don't, don't fret. There's probably a chance that you'll have... You know, one of those uh, fateful Monday morning at 10 a.m., you got to hop onto the site and push the button as fast as you can in order to get it. But, um, but yeah, so if you haven't seen it yet, it is Optimus Prime with a, a great redeco of, uh, you know, color is, is the red and white, makes him look like the Ghostbusters logo. He's got the Ghostbusters logo all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and uh, has he, a proton gun. Proton gun, and his uh, trailer fits the uh, Ectotron. Oh, I didn't in, see in, that. Oh, that's in cool. car mode. Yeah, it's built so that Ectrotron will fit in the back. Oh, he's, he's, that's cool. He's quite big. When he's transformed, he stands nine and a half inches tall. Like it's uh, unbelievable. Yeah, and uh, uh, ha- the official designation of Ecto thirty-five. Ecto thirty-five. Clever. Oh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it works for the Transformers fans as well. And it's, I, yeah. I mean, everything about it is very clever. I know that it's easy to be, like you said, cynical, and and this is, it looks like a cash in. It's one of the most. Uh, prized uh, transformers characters uh, that everybody loves and one of the most prized uh, toys of course from the transformers line that everybody loves and you put a ghostbusters decal on it and and yeah it's it's uh, equally valuable but uh they've also <laughs> done a whole lot of stuff like um oh, oh my is it wheelie what's his uh what's his little sidekick's name that uh comes with uh oh, shoot this I i'm showing know. my total lack of transformers knowledge at the moment wheelie trucky he's got his little but it's it's basically <laughs> can't remember what he's what his name is but it's it's the trap it's let's, the let's ghost trap with, and let's just go with wheelie trucky that's fine wheelie trucky <clears throat> you know good old wheelie trucky uh, uh, well what i like is uh say there hasbro you like uh like rehashing your old toy lines there for a cash grab <laughs> what's that other toy line you bought when you got kenner there hasbro what's it called it's something with real something i can't remember it's on the tip of my tongue um i <laughs> i just kind of hope that if this sells well they'll go maybe we should do something with the real ghostbusters yeah anybody yeah. anybody I think i mean and seeing that giant uh real ghostbusters card back uh certainly got people speculating at fan fest uh a little uh, bit yeah um although i think that comes down to hasbro technically owns the rights to Kenner. And if you're going to do anything vaguely Kennery, you got to stamp Hasbro on there. Yeah. Oh, who knows? Who um, knows? The other thing I noticed about Ecto-35 is he comes in a, a great old um, uh, box that printed on the outside looks like a proton pack and is actually designed so you can wear it on your I, back. Can you actually wear it? Because I saw that photo and There's I was a, like, that's really I mean, that's clever for, especially if you're going to Comic-Con and you buy this yep. giant toy, uh, they're sling about it on to have, back. you know, a few hundred people wandering around the floor of, of Comic-Con with a cardboard, uh, proton pack on their back. 
it's uh it's really kind of cool oh, it doesn't it really when you think about it how, how much extra does, is that not not a lot just some cheap nylon straps you know threaded through an opening in the box and yeah as, as i recall that was a big sell to one of uh, uh loot crates uh, crates not too long ago it was like the, and then the crate turns into a proton pack because they just added the straps to it you know yeah but uh so yeah, so very cool. Uh, probably a, a pretty penny will be paid for it. It's I'm sure one hundred and fifty dollars. Yes, US. there we go. Uh, which sounds about right. I remember that original Optimus Prime, that Generation One Optimus, costing quite a bit of money, and that's why my mm-hmm. parents were like, "No, you're not getting that. Are you kidding me? Here, have Hot Rod." And I'm like, "No, nobody <laughs> likes Hot Rod." Here, uh, take Wheelie Trucky and like it. Wheelie no! Trucky. This. There you go. The reason I don't know his little sidekick's name is because my parents never bought me the toy. I can blame my parents and deflect. <laughs> All I know is when they do another fan fest, I'm making up Wheelie Trucky t-shirts. <laughs> Wheelie e- Trucky. Even though we'll have figured out what his name is by then, Wheelie, we're getting Wheelie Trucky shirts for fan I fest. I love it. I love it. Um, all right. Well, so some other merch news that we can just quickly touch on. Uh, Hallmark has their uh, itty bitty lines that if yes. you've hopped into itty, any uh, Hallmark store recently. They've got these cute. It's kind of their version of Sum uh, Sums, uh, pop vinyls. Uh, everybody's got their little collectible cuteness now. Yeah, their little squishy, little stuffies. Little yeah, little they look stuffies. like the little people. Um, those like the toddler toys. The like yeah. big head, kind of uh, rudimentary geometric shaped body. Um, but they've done Star Trek and uh, Star Wars, of course, uh, and so now they're doing some Ghostbusters toys. So. Uh, very cool, especially as for my little one. I'm thinking about picking up one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, let's see, merch news, merch news. That's pretty much everything. So there's a couple more things before we get into uh, Fan Fest, which I think will kind of naturally happen once we start talking about the the Ghostbusters 2020 news here. Um, but um, I, I want to talk about that Polygon article that. I don't yeah. know if that was as a result of FanFest and some of the press that was there and they got some quality time to sit down with these people because, uh, you know, Dan Aykroyd <laughs> was quoted in a whole bunch of articles. and Lord Ivan knows and when, but... Uh, it had to have been the day before. It had to yeah. have been on, like, Friday afternoon or something. There's there's no way it happened on Saturday. No. Um, but the the article is, is fantastic. I, I I would implore you go out and read it from from top to bottom uh, after you you give this here podcast a listen because it's it's got a lot of wonderful stuff in there. A lot of a nostalgic looking back on the 35th anniversary. It kind of reminds me of on the 30th anniversary when um, when Vanity Fair did that article. Uh, and it, it was a great retrospective with a lot of great quotes, but uh, this particular one, you know, is, is uh, gearing up for the new movie. And there were a few things in there that I thought were a revelation. Uh, first and foremost, that Sheldon Kahn found a, a work print. A work print. Of the Possib- film. Possibly the work print, to be honest. Um, I mean, this is, so it's a work print from, uh, what was the date in 84? Four months. Four February. months out. Okay. So, so obviously there's, there's gotta be some stuff in there that ended up on the cutting room floor, uh, as they're testing the movie. This, this was, uh, as I'm understanding it in the Polygon article, they had done kind of like a screener copy. So it's probably like a three quarter inch tape or a VHS tape or something, um, that, so Ivan had shown the movie to a select group of people, not necessarily one of those test audiences out in Van Nuys. And, uh, this tape some way, somehow survived the test of time. And, uh, and good old Shelly Kahn 
found it just in the nick of time for the 35th anniversary and for jason reitman's film to be gearing up but yeah um so do so the question is do we think that they will ever release this work print yeah i was kind of hoping um <clears throat> just because we heard so much about these you know effects not effects missing shot work prints that people and it's 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 built into the article too that reitman likes to point out that they knew the movie was going to work because even without the effects people ran with the entire premise and the comedy and all that. So, I mean, I know we're well steeped in the movie, so we won't have that same first visual reaction to it, but boy, I'd still love to see it. Yeah. I mean, and it's not completely, I know a lot of people are saying, well, they would never release an incomplete movie like that. And and it's not unfounded. It's been done before. Uh, Blade Runner, the, the infamous uh, Blade Runner work print. Yeah. The Blade Runner uh, got released on, um, Speaking of people complaining about the uh, 35th anniversary uh, uh, Blu-ray set and its price, <laughs> they, uh, um, uh, the the Blade Runner uh, a guy that was like an eight-disc set or something like that, like yeah. it had theatrical original theatrical release, and then the you know director's cut and the the final cut and the final cut and the director second guessed his cut and did another <laughs> one and and the work print was on there and this work print is similar to Ghostbusters is infamous, right? Like the, the, the screenings they had for it. Yeah. I mean, and, and having witnessed now, okay. So on the show West reel, that's on the current, uh, 4k, uh, Blu-ray disc, um, there's, there's work print on un, unfinished footage where you're seeing the guys shooting the proton guns and, you know, there's no stream coming out of, out of yeah. the nozzle. Um, and, and of course, uh, Jason Reitman at FanFest showed off some of those uh, unused takes and alternate takes and uh, stuff that they found in the dailies too. So yes, I mean uh, the the bummer is that here we are. It's one week after the awesome 35th anniversary Steelbook edition was released, and now we're already talking about what's the next release going to be. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I pointed out to I think it was uh, maybe uh, Matt Provencal of. Uh, of of similar Ghostbusters Ghostbusters podcasting fame, um, that if a good movie is a good movie, there will always be something, and I yep. think that's you. You and I have tapped into that for this here podcast because once a week we find something to talk about. But um, if it's a good movie, you'll always discover something new about it. I, it's not even worth a final thought, but just it's a it's better used here as a point. The big discussion that I stumbled into was, uh. a a bunch of people sat around talking and suddenly realized that um, the fandom is divided in half as to what uh, Winston says on the rooftop. A bunch of us say this job's not worth 11.5 a year and the other half goes this job's not worth another five a a year. Yeah, that's true. Because I've always thought that he says another five a year. Like, we're the other, we, well, you and I represent the two halves then, because I always thought it was eleven five a year. Like in my head, eleven five was a reasonable blue collar. I looked it up too. I went looking. There, the government keeps these things around. That was you know a blue collar wage in nineteen eighty three eighty four. You know eleven thousand five hundred. Yeah, so that's that what made right. sense. Yeah, ten, Here's ten the grand thing. was the magic number for for making your rent in the eighties. Yeah. Here's the thing. Um, that line, neither line is in any of the scripts. It was, a on the day of shooting, worked it out edition. So it's there in all the transcripts afterwards, but it doesn't exist in any of the scripts up to Mm. the, 
the final shooting script. But here's the thing. There is, uh, if anybody wants to go to Paul Rudolph's uh, Spook Central, you can read through all, you know, copies of the script and all that too. He also, though, has the giant 300-page document they set out for uh, international translators and subtitling. And it says another five a year. Huh. And so it begs the question. So as best as we can figure, uh, they get to the day of the shoot. As they've mentioned uh, time and time again, they came up with uh, other stuff. By the way, everybody giving Paul Feig crap for how much uh, the ATC was improvised really needs to try and remember <laughs> how much the original movie got uh, uh, yeah, worked out. Read, read uh, the very first passage in Making Ghostbusters that says, this is an annotated screenplay. Because an actual screenplay doesn't exist for doesn't this film. Doesn't exist for this film. <laughs> Anyways, um, they 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 did the line the day of uh, Ernie Hudson says he he says he says uh, eleven five a year. Hmm. Well, I mean, he so would he, he would, would know. know. But here's the thing, uh, which makes sense. The trouble is then once the movie's done and then you have to start, somebody has to start preparing this package for translation and all that. They don't have a script to work with. There's no script. So obviously somebody listened to it and they heard another five a year, wrote it down into the thing. And that's so, and I checked, I, mm. I, I, when I first found this thing, I flipped over to the copy uh, on iTunes on my phone and turned on the subtitles. And sure enough, it says in the English subtitles, another five another a year. Another five a year. So we're huh. stuck in this weird limbo that movie, <laughs> movie was film saying one thing and the subtitles will forever say another just because nobody will update that doc every well, night, right? I mean, and, and also in everybody else's uh, defense for hearing things differently, it's a loud moment during the movie. You've got the music and it's his yeah. dialogue is buried no, no, under. It's not dun, wrong. Dun, it's dun, dun. what it means. We're living in an era where we're, how many times have we ran into this fact that, you know, what you see in here, depending on who you are, will be slightly different, and that's not right or wrong. It's just yeah. people will hear and see things slightly different, and that's exactly what it was. There's a bunch of people that said, "I want you." You watched it, and you said, "Another five a year," and in your head, you just had a yeah. That sounds like somebody who's complaining he's not making enough money. We all did the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> this is this job's not worth eleven five a year, and we said that sounds like somebody complaining he's not making enough money, and it just works either way. I was going to say the the context and the meaning doesn't change. Uh, doesn't change. So, so yeah. what happens is is if we draw people into these two rough camps of what they hear, you know, like uh, blue dress yellow dress sort of thing or Yanni and Laurel or whatever in the hell. Um, the person who put together this, this translation guide, because this is something you have to put together. If you're sending it over to somebody who's then going to, you know, dub it into Italian and all that, you have to, we, I've done this for video games and all that too. You have to explain to them what the hell that line means. Cause yeah. it's not going to necessarily automatically make sense to them. And if you just leave them alone, it'll get translated weird. Hmm. Um, and whoever did that doc, because they it's not like somebody handed them a script and said, here's exactly what's in the movie, go for it. Uh, they had to watch the thing and write it all down. And they were in the camp that heard another five a year. Like, So this is not to just bring it back around to what we're talking about. I, I really want to see that work print. I want to see what went into it. I want to – we're still finding stuff in the the official movie that got released, let alone in the, the stuff – that that was made and cut rough before they even yeah. got to the final one. I want to I want to scour that one now. Well, or look, the debt marrying scene that came out on the like. There's still so much stuff to see. 
Yeah, there's there's so many amazing things too now, especially if you watch that show West reel that's on the the Blu-ray disc and because there's no music, there's no sound effects. They they haven't added a whole lot of this stuff on there, so you're hearing uh, you know, uh, lines of dialogue clean and you're hearing like one of the things that everybody points out on the Fort Detmering scene is boy, the engine sounds horrible on the Ecto. Like when Winston shuts that engine off, it's just like, <laughs> blah, 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 you know, um, which, uh, you know, infamously the, the car always broke down. So, yeah. um, so that's the kind of stuff that I think would be gleaned from it. So, I mean, the good news is, uh, Hey, Sony pictures, home entertainment, you do have plenty of material now for a 40th anniversary edition. Uh, when you release that uh, full box set with one, two, three, and answer the call, uh, you got plenty of stuff. But anybody, anybody, you cannot wait till the five years and then start complaining because if they're going to put out a hundred and fifty dollar like super set, you have five years. You got five years. Yeah. That's like pennies a day between now and then and, to yeah. afford it. And, so. and that's always that's kind of always been the understanding with home video releases uh, is you have the the most comprehensive version for now and there will always be something that they can add to it or they can do more bonus features they can always add a commentary that kind of thing so um anyway so back to the polygon article sorry we're it's okay uh, it's my fault we've gone way off but it's okay this is fun conversation and i don't mind it at all but uh so go go read the polygon article because there's a lot of stuff in there with reitman talking about how um, he uh, addresses the Thorazine issue, which he also did yeah. at FanFest. Uh, he does bring up being a libertarian at the time and, and how that's reflected in the first two films. A sort of libertarian. A, a sort of libertarian, yeah. Um, he uh, he addresses Anthony Bresnikin's, uh, is Walter Peck really the bad guy? Which <laughs> we talked about on the show last week, uh, which was, <laughs> was, was a fun question that uh, Bresnikin asked. You know, he's this, this guy's actually looking out for us, the general public, and he's not wrong. And uh, Reitman's yeah. answer is, Gozer is the bad guy. I want you to remember this. Gozer is the bad guy, the antagonist. Yes. Uh, Peck is an obstacle. Yeah. Uh, um. But, not necessarily uh, wrong, but he's definitely in the way. But he's not the evil of the movie. Yeah. So, um, all right, Chris. So let's let's do this. We have some more voicemails that we didn't get to last week mm-hmm. uh, from FanFest. So I think we're at a good sort of halfway point. I want to play everybody's voicemails, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about Ghostbusters 2020. And uh, that will sort of uh, very easily dovetail into some more FanFest uh, chat on our end. Hey, this is Tyler Foster, formerly of DVD Talk, former guest on the show. Uh, I was happy to run into both of you at uh, Ghostbusters FanFest. I'm sad we didn't get a chance to actually sit down and have a conversation, but it sounds like the weekend was pretty hectic. Um, I had a decent time at FanFest. Um, when we got the schedules, like the night before, I was really panicked about getting all the autographs I wanted. I did miss some people. I missed... Uh, Sheldon Kahn and Richard Edlund, although I'm hearing that Richard Edlund wasn't at his table pretty much the entire event, so uh, that might have not been a surprise. But uh, in any case, most of what I wanted to do, I was able to get done. The big um, the big hold-up turned out to be the photo ops, which were a mess. Um, but all in all, it was enjoyable enough. Um, I especially liked everything that Jason had to say about the new movie. 
on the panel that he did, or the multiple panels that he did, and seeing that uh, unreleased footage from the original movie in the dailies, that was really great. It's only a shame that it didn't end up on this new Blu-ray that I just got done watching. I had talked to Troy in the line, and I didn't have a copy of it, but uh, Wizard World, after the photo op debacle, they worked it out so that I could get a copy, so now I have one of them too, and I'm pretty satisfied with that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, for a once-in-a-lifetime event, you know, I wish it had gone a little smoother. I wish there had been a couple more guests, but uh, it was it was fun, and I certainly don't regret going, especially after Wizard World, you know. They helped me out with the Steelbook, and uh, they helped a lot of us out with group partial refunds for our ticket packages, because I know people who bought the priority packages were not being given priority. Um... In any case, um, hopefully if there's some other similar event, I mean, they called it a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing, so I don't think Wizard World will be putting on another one, especially after all the hassles that they're going through now that this one's over, but um, maybe I'll see you guys in Los Angeles next year for the premiere of the new movie. Anyway, uh, that's all. Thank you. Uh, good luck on the show. You're doing a great job. Hey guys, it's uh, Dustin Milne from the Alberta Ghostbusters up here. Um, I was actually the guy with the DV meter that I mentioned there in line. <laughs> cool to hear that part of the, uh, the segment there. Um, yeah, totally agree with you guys on everything you said today about FanFest. Um, again, as an event planner, my OCD was in overdrive. I like how you put that. Uh, there's a couple things that I could uh, shed a little light on here. The, uh, the sound, yeah, absolutely horrible. Um, I've mixed concerts and bands for, oh, I don't know, 20 years now, and, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what was going on. The soundboards were both side stage, but, uh, in this day and age, we basically do everything from an iPad. The, uh, the sound engineer actually sat in front of me, um, for a little bit of the concert, so I looked over his shoulder. Uh, I don't know, maybe he was just new, uh, maybe they didn't get, uh, proper sound check or something. Not how I would have mixed it, not the rig I would have used, but... They'll be each their own. Um, but yeah, uh, the sound is definitely horrendous. Um, as far as the uh, the panels uh, were concerned for sound, they did actually have delayed speakers further out. Um, but I think because they were blaring throughout the day, people actually turned them around to point back towards the stage. Uh, so it kind of gave the like audience seating a little surround sound effect. Um, yeah, so that, I think that's what happened there. But, uh, yeah, again, dang, it was bad. Uh, as far as the autographs go, yeah, again, we were class 10. We upgraded uh, actually the Friday morning before the movie because we kind of had a bad feeling, and we figured, you know, we came all this way, we kind of turned it into a 10-day vacation for a bunch of us. Um, we may as well upgrade and make sure we get everything. Uh, sadly, even with the upgrade of a class 10 from a class 3, we didn't get uh, nearly what we should have. Um, I think what soured me the most is right at the end of the night, I, I didn't get the Ray Parker Jr. autograph, so I, I went up to the stage to try and talk to him. Um, again, being around live sound, I have no problem walking backstage like I belong there. So I went up to talk to him and ended up talking to a lady uh, who on the last minute bought one of the $50 general admission tickets 
and basically got to do everything we did. She didn't even know that they were charging for certain things or that certain photos weren't allowed for certain people. She just got in lines and, and <laughs> got all the pictures. And um, so really the only thing that we got to do that she didn't was the, uh, the movie screening, which again had its own issues, and the, uh, the breakfast again with its own issues. Hi, Chris and Troy. This is Jacob from the Circle City Ghostbusters calling in about my thoughts about Ghostbusters Fan Fest. Um, first of all, I have to say that it was a real pleasure to get to finally meet you guys in person. Um, you're both super kind and um, wonderful. And uh, I especially thank Chris for the uh, tour of the, the Sedgwick there and uh, taking us down to the First Avenue where they drilled the hole in the street. That was a lot of fun. Um, so FanFest was, uh, it was a wonderful mess. Um, I, I waited in line for a little longer than I care to admit just to get my, my photo ops, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to focus on that. Like, I definitely don't want that to be my big takeaway from the weekend because I actually had a, a blast. Like, it was probably one of the best times of my life, one of the best weekends of my life. Met so many awesome people, had so much fun. Um, the panels that I did get to see were, were great. I loved uh, seeing, in particular, the one with Jason and Ivan Reitman, and they were going over those old dailies that they'd uncovered. That was fantastic. It was it, it was definitely a once-in-a-lifetime kind of a thing, and it was just great. I loved it. Like I said, I loved getting to meet so many people. I think that's the true highlight of FanFest was really just getting to meet all these people that been interacting with online and, and this and that, and... Um, just, just a wonderful time, like I said, several times. And uh, I hope you guys had a good time, too. And I'll call in later with some other crazy topic that I'm sure you'll bring up on the podcast. Good evening. I'm Troy Benjamin. And I'm Chris Stewart. And I'm Troy Benjamin. And this is Ghostbusters 2020. From the Crossrip Studios around the world and into your ears, the news items that may or may not have touched your life. This is Ghostbusters 2020 with Chris Stewart and Troy Benjamin. All right, so Ghostbusters 2020 chat. Uh, not a whole, uh, we don't have a whole lot of rumors that we need to address, um, but we do need to kind of unpack some stuff that happened at FanFest. Um, mm-hmm. and then I also, uh, I need to, I need to post a correction here, uh, because we got a really great email from a listener who, who is correcting not only me for misspeaking, uh, but correcting Jason Reitman for misspeaking too. So this is a correction on our behalf and then a correction on, on, uh, Mr. Jason Reitman's behalf as well. Um, and so this, this email comes from Jerry and he says, uh, hi, Troy. I love the show. I was just listening to your recap podcast. And you mentioned that the dailies Jason showed us at FanFest were from a salt mine in Utah. And Jason said that they were from a mine in Kansas up on stage. The truth is they were stored in natural caves, not mines, along with most of all of Disney and Hollywood's legacy film reels in Kansas city, Missouri. I am from Kansas City, Missouri, and I drive by the cave area often. It's pretty cool and uh, one of, if not the largest, cave networks in the United States. Uh, there's, of course, lots of security and natural climate preserving the films out there, and he believes that Disney started it back in the day because Missouri was uh, where he got his career start, and 
uh, you know, Walt Disney was near and dear to Missouri's heart. So <laughs> the one thing he says is not a big deal. Just thought I would set things straight, especially since I am from Kansas City and I cringe when I hear people, Jason, think that we are in Kansas when we're actually in Missouri. So, uh, so thanks for the correction. Um, I, I saw this Jerry and I knew that on last week's podcast, I said the salt mine in Utah thing again. So I bet your, uh, your vein was popping out of your forehead when you heard that. Uh, but I, I got this email after that and it, uh, so we're, we're, we're formally correcting it now. Uh, <laughs> mines, mines in Missouri is where they found these things, but I was kind of hoping the correction would be that it was kept in the same mines where they shot, uh, uh, day of the dead, but oh, well, uh, or, uh, temple of doom. No, those were what? miniatures on set. Those no. are miniatures on set. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so, all right. So in, in terms of the Ghostbusters 2020 news, and we addressed it last week, I know a lot of people were disappointed that there were not big revelations. There was no logo, no title, no... There wasn't that big splash that we usually get for a Star Wars movie. Oh, it's a title reveal, or, or it's a poster reveal. Um, however, we did get quite a bit out of... The, I mean, quite a bit of hints and teases out of what happened at FanFest. Um, so it didn't have yeah. that big sort of like cannonball into the deep end of the, the swimming pool. But um, there was there was some fun stuff in there. I don't what what stood out to you, Chris, about sort of the revelations for what's to come next year. Um, one of the revelations came after when I thought about it, because. Again, I was of the the opinion that we were going to maybe get to see a logo or something like that. But a couple of people pointed out that um, uh, <laughs> FanFest is definitely an appreciative audience for that news. It's not exactly the biggest splash for revealing sure. that news. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of people have pointed out if we didn't get it there, it's because they're eyeballing uh, San Diego Comic-Con and stuff like that for some some bigger reveals and things like that. Um, but yeah, there there was a lot. I think, I think what was most telling to me was how much they would not address certain things. Um, like the fact that they pointed out that they're going through all these, these lost dailies and stuff like, stuff like that. Like, but not saying why. Yeah. Why? Well, not saying why to the point of you know it's related to the, it. The, you know, it basically says you know, yeah, we're going through them for the new movie, and everybody's like, why? And they're like, can't, <laughs> can't tell, tell you. you. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's. I know. I don't know. Were you intending to talk separately about Dan Aykroyd's interview, the one that came out at the same time as with GameSpot? I, I mean. I think we can kind of morph that into this, this it conversation feels to me that in his Danish way, he kind of hits on what we're kind of circling around here, which is he talked about that they're going to connect the two movies in a way that that's never been done before. Yeah. Which is a way <laughs> like, we're like, what do you mean, Dan narratively? Because flashbacks kind of existed or are you, kind of accidentally pointing us at some of our suppositions about technology, meaning how they're going to tie the two movies together. Um, and I mean, yeah, I mean, possibly, or, you know, the other thing too, that I was thinking is, 
you know, Dan is talking about the connection. So the connection was a word that was being used quite a bit. So Jason Reitman yep. said, uh, there is a connection to this family. That's the sort of, um, protagonist family that we're going to focus on in this uh, movie. They have a connection to the original film, but they don't know what that connection is. Okay. So that was his big tease, um, that we've already, we've kind of talked about, but, yeah. um, so it will unfold on screen. We'll, we'll, we'll see, and we'll learn as they're learning their connection to the original film. Um, Dan, as you mentioned, is saying that Jason has found a way to connect this film in a way that has never been done before. So I think I think they're talking about one and the same thing there. Like that connection, it's I, I think I think Dan is probably talking narratively that he's that Jason has found a way to connect this movie that's going to be fresh and and something that, that people don't expect. That's kind of how I interpreted that. But I am I go the other way. And again, it may just tie might be wishful thinking or something like that, but movies have been around a long time. Like how do you how do you brag that he's come up with a, a way to tie two movies together in a way that's never been done before, right? Like we live in a world where <laughs> where Steve Martin was inserted into 17 old black and white noir <laughs> films, right? Like, oh, like there, there are a lot of ways to, to tie movies together narrative wise. Um, I don't know. I, let's put it this way. If, if that is what it is, it's Ghostbusters aside, it's going to be awfully, you know, revelatory for filmmaking in general. Cause with, they're talking about, uh, you know, some, you know what I mean? Like, we we yeah. we've, we've seen all the the tricks of the trade and stuff like that. This is why my head is kind of heady, and and this is where it comes back to they're searching through old footage. Um, if he says in a way that's never been done before, I, I don't know. Like finding some people have I've been watching people online talk about it, and they think it's as simple as oh, if there's unused footage and phrases and stuff like that, they'll just they'll just use those and cut them in. Those are clunky. Like that's that's yeah, not subtle that's, at all. And that's and a little difficult. I mean, it's easier to do probably with Carrie Fisher's footage uh, for the new Star Wars movie because it's a recent film and her voice will match. And yeah, um, that's that's a little yeah. So they're whereas they're talking about like just clipping bits of old stuff together like a la flashback or stuff like that like i don't know all of that again that's not innovative like we've seen that a million times before and it's every time it's been done it's been kind of clunky yeah Um, yeah yeah so i my head is heading in the direction of it may be a flashback and they're gonna have to show us stuff from the first movie that wasn't in the first movie but it has to match the first movie right yeah which means exactly so again we either assume that they're somehow going to like (laughs) how do you build a a new like hook out of uh, a bad a a bill murray ad lib or something that ivan reitman thought was okay to not good enough and to include in the first movie like how are you supposed to build something out of that i don't think you are i'm still putting my money on this is about finding the raw materials to uh, to feed into some sort of effects pipeline that will mm. allow for the creation of, of new stuff. Um, and that's so. And then that goes back to Dan. He's talking about in a way that's never been. I'm like, okay, I yeah. think Te- you're so you, thinking technological. I'm thinking yeah. technological. Yeah. You and I are kind of. I don't. I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I just my gut kind of leans the other way. 
Yeah. And well, so no matter how, because they are going through the old material. And then Jason also brought up this advisory board, um, which so and and maybe that's kind of why I was interpreting them going through these dailies as. Look, Jason wants to return to original techniques. He wants to make this movie feel like it is an extension of the original Ghostbusters film. Um, And in order to do that, you have to not only look at the raw dailies and see how things were shot and and what kind of coverage his dad was getting back in 1984 uh, so that he can shoot things very similarly, but at the same time, yeah, this advisory board is probably people who are telling him things that we as fans may take for granted as as common knowledge. You know, like Michael Gross saying that when they sh- when they shot their proton packs, uh, the proton stream uh, began at the target and then shot back into the nozzle of of the proton gun. Um, yeah. and just those little tiny nuanced details. Um, that are going to go a long way. Uh, the only, again, I'm sorry to keep going back to Star Wars, but the thing that I keep thinking about is when they recreated the Yoda puppet for The Last Jedi, um, they were talking about how they couldn't quite get the puppet to look right. And somebody recalled that there was an, an interview with um, Stuart, uh, Stuart Freeborn, I think was the designer, um, on a laser disc where he said that he couldn't make the jaw look quite correct. So at, at the last minute on set, he created a new jaw piece and, uh, they said, Oh, that's it. So they went and they found whatever this jaw piece was and they put it on there and, and suddenly the Yoda puppet looked the right way. But those are things that you don't know without talking to the actual people that worked on the film. So if you yeah. have, uh, d- just going off the top of my head from FanFest, you've got Richard Edlin, John Bruno, Mark Brian Wilson. You have all of these people who created all of the physical effects for the first film. You yeah. sit with them and you say, how did you do the armature? How did you do the, the the animation for the proton guns? How did you do the lightning that came out of Gozer's fingers? Um, you know, all of those little things that are going to add to the authenticity of, of Jason's movie. So, yeah, uh, I, I mean, yeah, sure, sure. You may not, uh, you may not be too far off with, uh, the, you know, using dailies for something technological, but at the same time, because Jason mentioned archeology, span uh, it seems like he's sort of digging through the past in order to understand his present and future. Um, you know, I, I kind of took it as, as that as well, that yeah, yeah maybe, Maybe he's he's trying to reverse engineer the original Ghostbusters to figure out how to make his. Um, yeah, uh, I think ultimately we'll get to the end and find out that it's uh, some sort of amalgam of both. We just don't know in what we just don't portions. Know. Yeah, uh, but no, I, and that's that's the stuff that's killing me because I. Re- I really can't wait to see this. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's just making me even more excited for the film because this is. I think I, I've said it three times on the air and I've probably said it numerous times to all my friends and family to the point where they want to punch me in the face. But this is the movie that we've been waiting for for 30 years. Like this is the movie that will continue the story from Ghostbusters 2 will look and feel like the original Ghostbusters. Um, it, it It's our force awakens. This is, this is the yeah. force awakens uh, at the, at the end of, this long wait and uh, I can't wait to see it. So, um, so uh, let's just quickly talk about cast Chris, because um, you know, the other thing that wasn't really mentioned is, well, there were no big casting announcements. And even though Jason very coyly said, Bill Murray has read the script. Uh, obviously Dan Aykroyd has read the script. Obviously Ernie Hudson has read the script. Um, 
Sigourney Weaver, he mentioned, has read the script. Annie Potts is out doing uh, press for Toy Story 4. And of course, everybody's asking her. So on an LA morning news show, somebody said, are you on the new Ghostbusters? And she had to kind of do the exact same. I, I, yes, I am interested in, you know, poor Annie just stumbles through like not being able to say, yeah, I'm going to be in this new movie. Yeah. Um, well, this, this, um, yeah, a lot of people, because a lot of people's wishes is that everybody comes back for the movie, given that the, the whole premise of this movie is that it ties back to the first movie. Uh, that means, <laughs> it means that everybody can technically say they're in it, even if they don't shoot any new stuff for it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if he's if he's digging through old footage, if he's got some way to tie back into the original movie, and if he has some method of, of you know, bringing back some small amount of the original movie, then yeah, everybody's in it. Uh, technically, they just well, that's yeah, that's true. What if he's gone to them and said, "Hey, we're going to use footage from the original movie. Are you okay with that? Can we have your permission?" But also, yeah, well, don't say that we're doing this because <laughs> guess, uh, <laughs> and that's why it was I for um, Sigourney Weaver's interview. It was it was so nonchalant for her to say, "Oh yeah, I'm in it, and Bill's in it too." <laughs> I'm in it with everybody again. <laughs> well, because, yeah, it's 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 very easy to say that when, and this, again, ties back into Jason's too, where he says, everybody's read the script. Well, if you say, this is what we're doing, we have this plan, and it's going to bring back stuff from the first movie, everybody's going to go, uh, could I see what it is, please? And they read the yeah. script, and they all go, great. So... I mean, I know a lot of people want to Occam's razor to me is that the simplest answer is that that's what all this is, is, is <laughs> they, they're going to have a, that's not to say that, uh, uncle, old uncle Dan and, and all that will, <laughs> will, won't show up in, in the, in the present portion of the film and all that. It's just, it just means that the original cast, um, some portion of it is, yes, we're in the movie yeah. because, their old footage is back sort of thing. It's exactly, yeah, what, exactly. And, and you can understand why some of their brains are breaking while they're trying to figure out how to answer this question on the spot in a news uh, segment is because, well, maybe they're doing this back to the future two thing where, I don't know, I'm just making this up, but they travel back through time and somebody's in the background for a shot. And it's, it's like, well, they, they told me they're doing that. So I'm, I'm in the movie, but I'm not doing anything for the movie. I, but I don't want to tell you that. Or, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's it's a really difficult, especially in this day and age where they can do anything and everything. It's it's a little difficult to answer that question. But um, so, I mean, yeah, I am fully expecting. Look, we're three weeks out now, I believe, from production start on the movie uh, as you listen to this. So um, if it's not happening this week, I bet in the next week or two to come, they're going to have a big announcement that production has started on uh, the new Ghostbusters. I mean, look at what's happening with Bill and Ted uh, three right now. Is they just started rolling film, and uh, here come all the casting announcements. We now know that No yep. Hank uh, from Barry is going to be in in Bill and Ted, uh, and so which they have to do because once you start filming, you know, bystanders start seeing who's on set. Like there's just sure, sure, and uh, no matter how secretive they want to keep the movie, there will be those things that. You know, pe- people are going to start flooding into the Calgary airport and it's going to be like, wait a minute, what are you doing here? Yeah, what are you doing here? So-and-so was spotted uh, out yeah. of the town, that However, sort of However, part of me wants everybody out there that's listening, if you are in the Calgary airport and you see William Atherton show up, don't tell anybody. Please don't tell anybody. 
I, I honestly to... think this will be an interesting new game for this movie is for everybody to try to not talk about it. It's kind of antithetical to the way, you know, films are regarded online these days, but I really don't want to know. Like part of yeah. me is going, Troy, I think we should burn the podcast to the ground. I, yeah. Let's just, let's talk for an hour every week about uh, tabletop games until 2020. I don't know what to do, but yeah, I'm like, honestly, you know, like at some point should you and I, I th- we talked about how many months before we were going to just unplug. I, I think we need to, out. I think we have to. And I'm wondering if maybe I want to kind of extend that out, <laughs> like well, get to get to Christmas and go Merry, you Merry Christmas and Happy 2020. Um, see you guys in August. See you guys in August. <laughs> Bye. I I mean, it it only makes sense to me. Look, if if this movie is trying to tap back into the 1984 uh, film, if if everything about this is going to be nostalgic, if uh, if the the teaser trailer is going to be nostalgic, if the one sheet poster is going to be nostalgic, if the movie is going to feel like it jumped out of uh, 1985 or the year or two after the original film uh, came out. Um, why should we not go in and enjoy this movie in a very similar fashion to how we enjoyed movies at that point in time too, where, you know, you go in uh, to the movie theater and you have no idea that a Gremlins 2 is coming out, but all of a sudden there's that Gremlins 2, the new batch, uh, uh, not even, it was not even a full trailer. It was just basically a title reveal. And I saw that and it blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, there's another Gremlins movie coming out. And that's the first yeah. I'd heard of it. Um, so... I don't know. Am I, is anybody out there feeling the same way? Do you want to go into this movie completely blind? Uh, do you think we can get, do you think we can get away with not watching trailers and TV spots? Maybe we watch the first trailer and then we go dark. Uh, I don't know how to do this with a podcast, but (laughs) I I don't know either. (laughs) Good Lord. But, um, so yeah. So, I mean, at any rate, uh, as, as we once again, come up on an hour here, uh, we obviously have enough to talk about. We have enough to continue filling a weekly podcast for an hour. Uh, and if, if all we do is talk about official announcements, uh, I think it's, I think, I think that's pretty solid. I think we can still get away with it. And it's stuff that we know is safe. That's not giving huge amounts of detail away because if they're really being careful about this, then that's, that's pretty safe, I would say, or, Hopefully it's safe to say, um, but uh, yeah. How are you guys feeling out there? Do you not want to? Are you going to turn uh, the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossrip podcast off from this po- for for any reason? You can tell us that too. But uh, do you not want to know? We want to hear from you guys. Tell us. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go, 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 go stoppers. I'm sorry. We'll do it again. We want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail on our call-in line at 470-242-4742. That's 4702-GBHQIC. We also have a Facebook page. You do? And Twitter accounts. Friends is dead. No kidding. Just give me the address. Search Facebook for... The Ghostbusters! Interdimensional Crossrip! On Twitter, look for Troy at Ghostbusters HQ and Chris at Proton Charger. What the hell are you doing? If you like what you hear, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes. Be sure to recommend us to your friends. That makes good sense. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professional. Once again, our call-in line is 4702-GBHQIC. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray.
I, I'll just air test tones, Chris, from now until, uh, you know, end of July 2020. We'll just hear, this concludes maybe, our broadcast day. Maybe we need to ask Apple for uh, another, instead of just explicit, like maybe just a little GB or something, or yeah. I don't know. Like if and if we and if we sh- if we show it on the episode, you'll know that we, we're going to do some talking about stuff. So if you're teetotaling on on 2020 news, just don't tune in this week. Yeah, we'll, actually, we were kind of doing that before. Actually, we'll marry the two. You find a, an annoying alert tone, one of those those tritones, and that that they run on the TV when there's like a hurricane or whatever, and then. Uh, <laughs> If in the middle of the podcast we're like, blah 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 blah, dumb nerd stuff, everybody's like, "Oh my god, quick, turn it off!" People slapping at their phones. Sufficiently warned. Warning. Ay ay ay. Well, what do you uh, what do you got for final thoughts, Chris? Uh, I mean, I was my final thought. Talk more about fan fest uh, logistics and stuff, but I actually don't mind that. Like, I I feel pretty good. I've got closure on fan fest for a day or two here. I think so. yeah, we talked, like, would we post-mortem things? I don't know that there is. We, In recapping it, we hit on the stuff that we were, like, WTFing, and I think that kind of post-mortems everything. I think we kind of covered it. That if they're yeah, gonna, we're kind of done. Yeah. We're all like, it definitely should be done again, and uh, in doing so, these were the things that we weren't 100% happy about. Yeah. Please use these takeaways. <laughs> I feel like we did. Yeah, we covered that. So uh, so this this concludes. Here's this tone. Bird. <laughs> concludes our fan fest chat uh final thought though is if people haven't read uh nick DeSemelin's uh book wild and crazy guys i just finished it yesterday Ooh, yes uh get a copy and join us won't you because i think in the next couple of weeks or so we'll have to to reach out to some of our um our our faves there to to come talk with us about bring it. the book it's, club back together yeah it's pretty amazing actually uh what i found most interesting there's a lot of interesting stuff but one of the most interesting things was the the chapter on groundhog day uh, oh i haven't gotten that far yet he um i mean he's basically building his book out of various interviews right like because uh, he wrote for empire magazine and all that right. so he's what he's done is he's kind of built up it's known information it's just that if you haven't read it all yourself you're you don't necessarily put two and two together so for groundhog day the 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 we know they had uh, that bill murray and harold ramis had a falling out on it what we didn't realize is they had a f- like they were at odds before things even started filming like mm. you know i don't want to spoil things but it amounts to bill liked it uh the the guy who wrote the the original script was yeah, invited off yeah uh off the project and uh you know harold and his team went off to kind of refine it and bill secretly bought da- brought danny back and started working on his own version of the script Ooh. at which point they're two weeks out from filming and harold and them catch wind that bill has his own version of the script oh no they've gone through the pre-production and they're like well how much of his is are we going to have to do and how much is it going to clash with what we've been preparing for so and that that was the start of the movie right wow like it's just, interesting uh, all right well this, yeah. this is all good i mean yeah, we, we have been teasing uh, our Ontario friends will be joining us for a book club. We just got to get that all scheduled now that FanFest is done. Yeah. But uh, It's a real good read. It's an wow. excellent read. It's amazing how he 
structures it. It does move back and forth a bit time-wise, but what he's tried to do is he's tried to create a flow to it that's not just chronological, moving back and forth between various uh, actors and their projects, but tried to do it in such a way that when they start to cross paths, it feels natural to flow from one telling to the right. next. Yeah. Um, really, really, really good stuff. And um, uh, it, God, I mean, I'm still, it never occurred to me uh, <laughs> until I start reading the book how young Eddie Murphy was well into his early movie hits. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. He started. So, I mean, he was on SNL. I think at that point, save for Anthony Michael Hall was the youngest cast member that had ever been on the show. Right. Yeah. He'd left to go do Beverly Hills cop at like 19 or something like that. Yeah. Like just ridiculously young. And in my head, I'm watching these movies going, I don't know. I mean, I was young too. So I'm looking at Ed Murphy going, here's an adult, right? Like, but he wasn't, he was, he was barely out of being a kid yeah. himself, right? Like, it's just, it's so insane. Um, and it's a real good read. And it's good for, I think anybody who listens to this show will like it. Not not only because it does talk about Ghostbusters stuff. Not only does it talk about the stars of Ghostbusters doing their other things. Um, but just because, you know, it's also, I mean, the whole premise is the, the guys who made every hit we loved in the 80s and actually one of the most telling things is getting to the end of the book and realizing we love these guys for a very small handful of movies and they're all surrounded by a lot of stinky dead bodies when it comes to movies <laughs> yeah, right like yeah. they did some real and we just sort of forget about them and go no they were great and they they were when they this what the book underlines when they were on they were they were on and yeah. well, and, and much like the original Saturday Night Live, you watch uh, that that first season, and there's an awesome sketch that is uh, iconic and so memorable, and became pot- part of the pop culture zeitgeist. And then there are five sketches afterwards that are just bombs. They're just so bad. Yeah, I so, think the only the only thing I find disappointing about the book is that um, just for size constraints and all that, he focused on a handful of guys. Uh, was delighted to when he like included Rick Moranis and John Candy because he didn't necessarily yeah. need to except for the fact that they did weave in. But for example, he manages to involve uh, Martin Short just because they all cross paths on Three Amigos and then they start appearing in one of those movies and all that. There's not a chapter on Martin Short. He definitely could have had one, but yeah. he didn't. Um, and he well, didn't... Um, uh, he mentions that of all the women on SNL, Gilda Radner was the one that got anywhere near the level of, of film fame that the rest of them did. But he he doesn't include her. Like there's no yeah. uh, Gilda Radner uh, run through it again because uh, I'm like her run. I don't know necessarily threads well with the rest of them but it's a shame because i think she has just every right to be her stuff to be i think also part of it is that he's he's built it out of interviews that go all the way up to i mean into the 2000s and you know up to fairly recently too with empire magazine and stuff like that um whereas gilda passed away so long ago you know, um, yeah, those, those interviews it's, it's are not quite there. Not yeah. quite there. But yeah, yeah her, um, you know, her husband, uh, 
uh, Gene Wilder. Should, uh, there's no Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder have a have a very strong thread sure. of movies through the '80s too. But yeah. I don't know. I think I think that he liked the 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 focus being on the guys that came out of SCTV and SNL specifically. And yeah, and, well, uh, it kept it nice and focused. But hey, what we're treading on what we should probably be talking in our our book club here. Yeah, we'll retread it again later. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my final thought: is go get the book. It's yeah, a go real pick it good up and read. read it, and so that once you've uh, read it, by that time you'll hear the book club, and all of this this discussion will continue at that point. Because yeah, this, this is all good stuff. This is the stuff I want to talk about, and I also just want to finish reading the book before we talk about it too. But yeah, um, all right. Well, yeah, go pick up uh, Wild and Crazy Guys. Uh, go pick up the Ghostbusters uh, Elmer Bernstein score, and uh, pick up that that blu-ray disc because it's it's a lot of fun it's been fun watching everybody uh, dive into it and uh and and the feedback has been pretty good on our commentary and we appreciate that and if you don't like the the commentary please please don't tell us i have thin skin but uh all right everybody uh until next week see you all on the other side Who you gonna call? We thanks for joining the ghostbusters interdimensional crossrip Visit us at ProtonCharging.com, GhostbustersHQ.net, and StillPlayingWithToys.net. That used to be one of my two favorite shows. Everything you're doing is bad. I just want to let you know that. We'd like to get a sample of your brain tissue. Oh. Next week, though, Careless Pets. We're so